1: Of uh, the show before the show. Just this season. But, like, we're almost to the final <laughs> full month of the regular season. Can you believe that?
0: That, that is crazy. I was talking to uh, Kelsey Hennigan the other day and saying, we basically have six weeks left of the season, um, which is nuts to think about.
1: That is crazy. Man.
0: But, I mean, with the the way the AFL is this year, true. The, train, the train's just going to keep on rolling.
1: That is true. The AFL starts, like, 15 minutes after the end of the uh The minor league season, the AAA championship. The AAA championship game is like just days beforehand, right? I think it might be the day before. Or the day beforehand? They're very close together, yeah. (laughs) We used to get like a couple weeks. Now it's like, meh, nope. Never mind. You're done. Um, So, hey, it's uh, the latest edition of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Ron. His name is Sam Dykstra. Uh, This week's episode, the 219th. Yeah, our last one in the month of July in the 2019 season. And uh, things are heating up all across the minor leagues from promotions and playoff races and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Some big prospect performances. We're going to get to a whole lot of it on this week's episode of the show. Thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. We're at MILB.com slash podcast. We are the Minor League Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and everywhere else you get your shows, and you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription if you are so kind and want to give us five stars. And uh, with that, we'll dive in. Three Strikes, our opening segment on this and every – well, not every – almost every week of uh, the show in which we tackle three of the biggest topics across the minor leagues, and we're going to get things started with some big prospect promotions in the minors, which include – uh, the Oakland Athletics left handed pitcher AJ Puck, the 34th ranked overall prospect in the game of baseball. Um, this has been a weird season for A's uh top prospects injury wise. AJ Puck got started late, obviously, after his 2018 Tommy John surgery, but he has been really, really good. He's made the jump up to triple A. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds have bumped up, uh, their. Last year's first round selection, fifth overall pick, Jonathan India. He is up at the double-A level. Uh, Los Angeles Dodgers bumped up Kiebert Ruiz, their top prospect to triple-A. Uh, but, Sam, this is kind of one of those stretches where now we're getting into the, the bulk of time where – next year these guys if they don't start in the big leagues they'll already have kind of that six week leg up on going to the next level wherever they are um give me your thoughts on uh, on a couple of these and what they say about where these prospects are at this stage of this
0: yeah i think that was well put about guys who are getting the the jump now and what the point of that is is uh in some of these cases like jonathan india it's to get you a taste of AA and get you ready for potentially 2020 starting back there or at least measuring to see how you can do if Jonathan India does really well maybe he makes a push to AAA Louisville next year um but usually it's just kind of hey this is what AA is like this is what being this close to the majors is like so you know and you can take it in the offseason we're almost getting to the point now where Guys are either going to be promoted or they aren't for the rest of the season. There's not really much value in getting promoted with two weeks left um, unless there's a playoff push or something like that. Um, so we're kind of coming up against it now. And <clears throat> if you visited the site recently or listened to our podcast, you've heard a lot about player promotions now that we're fully into the second half. Um, And I think that might dry up at a certain point, at least within the minors, uh, because of that. If you're going to get any experience it's going to come now, it's not going to come two, three weeks' time when everything is winding down. Uh, To touch on two of the guys you mentioned, Cable Ruiz will save for a later strike. That's a tease on on what's coming down the line here in a couple minutes. But uh, A.J. Puck getting the bump to AAA Las Vegas is pretty exciting because this was a year for him that, I, I don't know, the it's not necessarily a lost year but the biggest focus for this year for him is coming back from tommy john surgery yeah. uh he missed all of 2018 due to elbow surgery i think he underwent the procedure in april last year which is really difficult because if he gets it in february or march or january um you know the rookie time is at least a good chunk of it in the off season. here you know getting it in april Twelve months is kind of usually the optimistic view on Tommy John return. He didn't actually come back to a minor league mound until June, um, which is unfortunate. He basically lost half the season uh, because of a surgery he had last year. But anyway, he comes back. Pitched uh, at Class A Advanced Midland or Class A Advanced Stockton, excuse me, Double A Midland. Now he's up to Triple A Las Vegas. The A's have only been using him in relief so far. Mostly that is because. Uh, you know, limiting his innings and all that. But also, A.J. Puck, has actually, he's looked really good. He's hit as high as 98 miles an hour the fastball. Uh, the fastball has always been a plus pitch for him, but to have the velocity come back that quick uh, after a major surgery is certainly a positive sign. He's also got a plus slider. Uh, that all seems to be working. And if, if the stuff is really back and they're limiting him in this relief role, there's a chance that he could pitch out of the bullpen for the major league team come September. The A's are a, com- they're a com- competitive team right now. They are going for a wild card spot. Don't think they're going to catch the Astros in the AOS by any means, but they are going to be you know, needing as much talent as they can get. A.J. Puck pitching from the left side, uh, being a college arm, he has experience, even if he, it's not quite there in the minor leagues. You know, he could be a real weapon for them come September. And if they're saving some of these bullets for him now, uh, even coming off the surgery, you know, he might not have much of a limit by the time he's up in the majors. First, we got to see what happens with him in triple A. He's going to be throwing with that triple A ball for the first time. Uh, What is that going to do for him? Pitching in Vegas is going to be really difficult. He had his first outing. Yesterday on Tuesday, pitched two innings, only gave up one hit, two strikeouts, pretty much exactly what we would have expected for him. It was just what happens now over extended time the PCL. be interesting. But the guys throwing strikes, uh, 13 of his 17 pitches were strikes that, that night, 9 of 10 the night, or in his previous outing, 15 of 17 the time before. H- his command is there. His control is there. He hasn't walked a batter in his last four outings. Uh, A.J. Puck is passing all the tests right now. That certainly earned him this – push to triple i uh, I'll be really interested to see what happens with him see if he can make that jump to the the majors and if the a's are really willing to go for it with him and with their major league roster uh moving back to india real quick this is not a move necessarily that's going to help out the major league club right now but it is something we kind of expected both of these guys went to the university of florida which is kind of funny but uh, india coming out of florida last year an advanced bat Everybody kind of thought he would be a quick climber. The problem is, he started out the year at Class A Advanced Daytona in the pitcher friendly uh, Florida State League. Only hit 256, 346, 410. So the power isn't quite there for him yet. But it was kind of like what we were talking about with Trevor Larnick in the Minnesota Twin System, who also made a jump to, from the Class A Advanced level to Double A, getting out of the FSL the power hasn't been been there, but what happens when he gets out of the Florida state league, is that going to start playing? Um, Because it's not really looking like a weapon right now for him, but it potentially could be Um, one thing to look out for India as well is, you know, entering the year, the top prospect in the red system was Nick Senzel. Uh, They move him to the center field because they want to get him away from Eugenio Suarez. India is another third baseman. They have recently got him time at second base. Um, He, a lot of people think he could have been an above-average fielder at third. He's got a strong arm. Second base is just to get some looks there. He, I think he made five starts after late June. So they are keeping an eye out for potentially moving him around. They haven't done it yet at Chattanooga. He's only played third base in his first two stops there. He also played some shortstop last year coming out of the draft. We'll have to keep an eye out on that to see where they're going to move him around. But they like him like his bad enough to push him at 22 years old. 2AA, still relatively young for that level. Um, we'll have to see what he can do here in the next six weeks and whether that can push him you know, to maybe start out next year at AAA or if this is just a, a process of getting his feet wet and allowing him to get comfortable there and hopefully taking off again in 2020.
1: Strike two this week. Uh, some more promotions, but these four guys leaving the minor leagues and both in the San Diego Padres organization. The fourth and fifth ranked prospects in that system were both top 100 guys, uh, number 47 and number 69 overall. Uh, Adrian Morahon, left-handed pitcher, and Michelle Baez, a right-handed pitcher, both making the jump from Double A Amarillo over Triple A El Paso and straight to San Diego. Uh, Morahon has made one start at the big league level, two and a third innings pitch there, uh, and Baez has made one relief appearance after. After working out of the bullpen for Amarillo all season uh, those two guys both making that jump we kind of expected we'd see them in relatively short order at the big league level but that's big stuff to call up um, you know both of these guys uh, right you know in succession and have them up at that major league roster right now obviously Mackenzie Gore is at double a now on that Amarillo roster uh, San Diego's parade of prospects just keeps coming
0: yeah and it's really fascinating to talk about the Padres because in a vacuum if I told you some of the things that have gone on with them in recent recent weeks you would think they're a real playoff contender um, you know there's there are rumors that they were trying to trade for Noah Syndergaard they still might try to get a controllable arm at this deadline uh, they are pushing two of their best arms to the major leagues skipping them over triple-a completely uh, you would think like hey this is a team that's really going for it in a way I was talking about the A's before with A.J. Puck but as things stand right now the, the Padres are still 47 and 53 they're six games back in the wild card race in the NL It'd be fun to see if, they, hey, they think they can close that gap. I mean, that's going to be really difficult. It's a pretty uh, built-up race out, out there in the National League. But, you know, Morahone and Baez, like you said, are kind of interesting this year because Morahone, yes, he, he technically made a start at the major league level. And, yes, technically all 16 of his appearances with Amarillo were starts. But he's kind of the perfect prospect for the modern game in that he was used exclusively as an opener. Uh, this is a guy who didn't throw many more innings than two, two and a third, two and two thirds, during his time in the Texas League, and that's exactly how they used him in his major league debut. Cal Quantrill came in behind him. Um, you know, the the stuff looks like it. it could potentially be a starter I mean his fastball and curveball are plus pitches his changeup has a chance to be above average Um, he did miss time last year with some triceps issues and some other general soreness Um, so maybe this is meant to protect him but he's only 20 years old they think his stuff will play in the major leagues right now Uh, we'll love to see them expand his role potentially in 2020 but see what he can do as an opener right now and, and take it from there and with Baez much older he's 23 years old so it's not as shocking to see him jump even though he's similarly skipping over triple a completely um but at six foot eight uh with three above average pitches in his fastball slider and changeup, uh he has a chance to be really really good as a as a reliever he was that uh during his time in the texas league he had a 2.00 era 38 strikeouts in 27 innings um uh, see how that that stuff plays and again this this you know I, I talked about it as if the Padres are contenders but maybe this is just to see what the Padres have um, as they go into an offseason that you know, they already spent a lot of money on Eric Cosmer and Manny Machado this is a team that is gearing up to win in 2020 Fernando Tatís Jr is officially on the scene now and you know, one of the best Major League shortstops in the game, not just rookie shortstops. Uh, Luis Arias is finally up again after he destroyed AAA. Uh, this is a team trying to figure out what it has so we can maybe make some bigger moves uh, going into the offseason. And, and maybe if Morahone and Baez look Major League ready right out of the chute, okay, those are two roster spots they don't have to worry about and hills they, holes they don't have to fill. Um, so, yeah, th- I think these guys are going to get long leashes. You don't bring them up for nothing. Um, but given the roles that they're in, Given the stuff that they should have and they, some other organizations would allow them to be starters for a little bit longer, I think these, these uh, promotions are fascinating and we'll have to keep an eye on these guys, see what they can do now that they are in the show.
1: Strike three this week. Triple uh, A Oklahoma City. It seems as though we write a story about every night. And last night, uh, the Oklahoma City Dodgers scored 16 runs, and we wrote about their starting pitcher because that's how good <laughs> Dustin May was, and that's how good the rest of that team has been. So they're pretty much all going to get a story about them at some point soon. Um, this team is ridiculous right now. The amount of runs that they've been scoring as of late. They got a five-game winning streak right now, as of last night's victory, which was Tuesday night. We're recording this on Wednesday, uh, they've scored at least nine runs in every one of those those games they've scored double digit runs I believe in five of their last seven now in total um, this team has been absurd especially the last really three weeks to a month and with the promotion of Gavin Lux and the fact that he's had hits in 18 of his 19 games at A to this point um, this team right now has more storylines than I think almost any in baseball uh, including the major leagues. And it just so happens that their parent club also may have uh, one of the best storylines in baseball this season, also running away with its division. Uh, But Oklahoma city, like what, what can you even say about Oklahoma city at this rate? That team is absurd.
0: Yeah. It's just so much fun to follow them. Um, You know, we, we, Put so much emphasis on individual players here, and uh, maybe in a season preview, we'll tell you who to watch. Or you know, our MLB TV uh, previews at the end of the podcast will tell you, hey, here's a team to watch at the end of the week. But at the, usually, we're we're focused more on individual players. But the way this team has come up and come together, I mean, a lot of these guys were at Double A Tulsa. Lux was at AA Tulsa a couple weeks ago. DJ Peters was there. Dustin May got called up at the same time. Ruiz just got called up last week. Homered in his first AAA game, which was absolutely crazy uh, considering the power isn't quite been there for him in the past. Um, Yeah, this is a team that's playing in AAA and it's playing in the Pacific Coast League and it's playing with, you know, the new ball and all that kind of stuff. But maybe Fresno or El Paso. were teams earlier in the year that were this exciting, but I just can't remember an individual team that we've had to watch in night in and night out. Uh, I, I covered a game last week, or covered it here from our offices anyway, uh, on Thursday, in which you know I was kind of buckled in at the time. Gavin Lux was entering the game, hitting 500, so I was like, okay, I'm going to really follow every at bat he has. He ended up five for six with a homer and two doubles, and I was just laughing. And even the AAA Iowa. Broadcasters were laughing because the guy was just so red hot. He's called, cooled off a bit since, but he's still hitting 481 uh, with a 1.5. He 5, went two for five
1: last night, and his batting average dropped from 487 to 481 yeah, it, on a two for five night. It's, and, it,
0: it, and you think, like, oh, it's just him. And, and as I was covering that game, I'm like, are all, all prepared to write about Gavin Lux and whatever. And uh, Iowa brings in Taylor Davis, catcher, uh, to – to be the pitcher in the ninth inning and then Kyle Garlick who has been up a little bit with the Dodgers this year hit his third home run of the game and then all of a sudden it turns in from this is the Gavin Lux show to oh by the way this three homer game which would lead the site any other day is also happening but I have to fold that underneath because Gavin Lux is one of the best hitting prospects in all of baseball right now and is on an absolute tear uh it's almost difficult to focus on any one player in, in what our normal jobs are with this team uh you had a story tyler i think last week in which you know lux did really well but also will smith homered in the same game um and you know now will smith and kb ruiz are back together again and and you know, the the dodgers have to figure out how they want to make that can work uh dustin may every once in a while it's going to steal the show and even in games like when it was 16 to 1 yeah, this team is just so deep if you're not paying attention you have to start paying attention now uh i would not be surprised to see gavin lux get postseason at bats for the dodgers maybe dustin may pitches out of a bullpen roll that type of thing um these guys are too good to keep down but the dodgers major league roster is too good uh to to send anybody off and and I don't know. It, it'll be really interesting. One thing to watch, in particular, is how much time at second base is Gavin Lux going to get, because he's not going to kick Corey Seager off of second. But he did make one start at second base. Um, is that something that's going to continue with him? Because if he starts picking up more starts there, I think that's a clear sign that the Dodgers are like, okay, we get it. You're ready for Major League Baseball, and that's the role that we can get you at bats. Um, but until then watch this ride amongst these Dodgers Triple A players as long as you can because it's it's been the most exciting thing at least in our jobs the last couple of weeks
1: and that is three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Coming up, we're going to head to the Cleveland system where Sam got a chance to catch up with the ninth ranked prospect in that organization, Ethan Hankins, who was taken with the 35th overall pick a year ago. And this season, with Class A short season, Mahoning Valley has been ridiculous. An ERA under one uh, and really opening some eyes in that system at just 19 years old. Cleveland's Ethan Hankins joins Sam on this week's episode of the show before the show next.
0: joined this week on the minor league baseball podcast the show before the show by number nine indians prospect ethan hankins currently spending his time at class a short season in mahoning valley he's got seven uh outings under his belt a 0.88 era seems like a pretty good summer so far but ethan thanks so much for joining us how are you doing
2: i'm good it's uh, it's awesome to be here
0: great great yeah no thank you for joining us so uh, yeah, kind of take me through this summer so far. You're, you're kind of getting your first extended taste of the minors. You pitched a little bit, and I mean that in every sense, a very little bit last year after you were drafted. But um, what has it been like so far getting into things with Mahoning Valley and, like I mentioned, getting off to such a strong start?
2: I mean, so far it's just understanding like the grind and the, the length of the season and preparing yourself in the off season, and um, it's something obviously Unless you're in the minors, you—it's hard to experience something like this because you don't get to go home, you don't get really time off. So it's kind of—it's you have to cherish those moments that you have time to like relax and recover. Um, But it's going good. I mean, it's a good team to be around. We have a lot of fun. It's—it's easy to go on these road trips and play every day. I mean, but the biggest struggle for me so far is being like understanding the recovery process and how I need to contain my body and my arm but that's going fine Um, feel really good so I'm excited for the next few starts
0: yeah and take me through that recovery process because you were somebody who going into the draft last year 2018 you were expected to be a first rounder the Indians take you in the 30s uh, because of a shoulder issue that popped up in the the spring so when you say the recovery process excuse me is something you're still dealing with what about it is new and what are you working on between starts? That's allowing you to still pitch. You know, every fifth, sixth day.
2: I mean, uh, at the so for my high school season, uh, when I got hurt, I put on too much weight and I lost a whole bunch of flexibility, and um, so when I went to when I got drafted and I started my my minor league career, um, I one thing that I really wanted to take. Very serious was staying flexible throughout the whole year because it's easy to, as much as like we lift and we work out, it's easy to stay tight in your hips and your shoulder. So that's one thing that I really like to emphasize on like those off days whenever I'm not pitching, uh, to really stay flexible, and that means like like yoga and other stuff like along those lines to stay flexible. That really helps me with recovery. And, uh, I mean, the Indians have a lot of equipment that we can use off the field that really helps us with, like, recovering our arms, like everybody. So, I mean, it's really – it's learning how to utilize that – like those equipments and stuff like that, how it can really improve your game. So – and it really helped the process of recovering fast and easy, too. So, I mean, it's fairly – it's. I mean, it's a long. It's a long season, and being able to utilize those, uh, like those things that the Indians are able to provide for us, is very helpful for all the pitchers and position players to keep their arms right the whole year.
0: And, and when you mentioned focusing on that flexibility, um, you know, I, I talked about the shoulder, but is that is the shoulder something you're focusing on in the, those flexibility, or is it like you said, doing yoga and other things and hips? Um, is it more of a ground up approach and and fixing everything else will eventually fix the shoulder how do you deal with that shoulder issue specifically
2: i mean it for me it was i mean when your legs you're talking about your foundation you you stride with them you push off the rubber with them i mean that's like you wouldn't be able to pitch without having legs literally it's pretty blatant statement but um but really trying to emphasize your legs and your lower half mobility is huge because when you're working from the ground up, it is, it's not, I don't wanna say easy, but it really does help your upper half like fall into place when you're working on, especially with your hips and having explosive hips and staying really loose, but strong in those, in your lower half. So it's kind of like, like you said, it's a ground up approach. That's how I'm taking it.
0: Hmm. No, it makes sense. And uh, before we move on to some other things about last year, uh, you know, now that you are pitching in, in the New York Penn League, like I said, you got two starts last year in the Arizona League, but through these first couple of weeks since the Penn League started, what has kind of been your welcome to minor league baseball moment? Is it something about a bus ride? Is it something about pitching? Like I said, every fifth or sixth day, what was that one crystallizing moment where you realize, hey, this is really what pro ball is all is all about and like, you know, week in and week out
2: uh my my little my come to minor league baseball moment was probably though I had to pitch on a travel day so normally get sleep in whatever if if, if you're pitching it like a regular game because so my first three homes of my f- first three starts this year were at home so I was able to sleep in and do my routine very casually and not have to worry about anything. But that was kind of like an eye-opener for me when we had a four-hour bus ride and in the morning we had to wake up early and then we get to the hotel and then it's like a quick turnaround. You have to head back to the field in order for me to do my routine and the other things to get me prepared for my start. So that was kind of an eye-opener for me to, to like realize this is how it's gonna be from now on and better get used to it fast or else it, it's going to push me off in a bad direction. So, I mean, it was, it's fairly say it's easy for me, but it's easy to understand to carry myself. That's the first outing that I had on the road where I was like, okay, well, this is how it's going to be. So, I mean, that was my, that was my first look at, but there's, there's been a few other ones along the way, but that was like the, really like this is how it's going to be
0: so it's time to get used to it. yeah for sure and uh again going back to 2018 um you you were one of the top talents in that draft a lot of people had you on all america lists going going into 2018 pitching out of georgia uh and then you suffered the shoulder injury what was it like going through that knowing like hey there is this kind of golden opportunity at the end of this. This is your senior season. This is your chance to show everybody I'm worthy of a high pick and have that happen. Um, What was your just mindset throughout the spring of 2018?
2: I mean, it was really difficult because, I mean, obviously I'm holding myself accountable for not doing the things that I should have off the field, like during the off season. But for me, I just felt like I tried to not feel a – a burden on myself like throughout the whole season even at the beginning of the season where I, when I was feeling good and I was feeling healthy I was really trying to take a step back and kind of soak in the last few moments that I had with like my, my boys my best friends that were on the high school baseball team everybody at home and um, before obviously I was either going to go to Vanderbilt or like I was going to go to college or professional baseball so if that's the only thing that really like it was it was difficult to to take a step back because that's like this is a, that was something that I've always wanted and I was able to achieve it to be high draft pick I mean that's everybody's dream and to be able to reach out and feel like I had it within like within my the top tip of my fingers it was hard for me to, like, accept that I was hurt. And that was, that was by far the toughest part. But I was able to take a step back and also see I'm going to come back and I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to show everybody that I'm healthy so nobody's questioning anything before they pick me or Vanderbilt is going to be questioning, well, I wonder if he's healthy. I, I want to be able to leave no doubt on anybody's mind that when I made my return I was a hundred percent but it, it was the tough part was getting to that point
0: yeah so how did you get to that point what was the recovery process like because I'm sure you as you mentioned you want to show that you are healthy that you are ready that your stuff is back but at the same time you don't want to hurt yourself further and and risk everything um, so w- what was that recovery like, making sure you were at that perfect moment where you could show, hey, the velocity is at least a little back uh, and your pitches are a little bit back, but also, hey, I did all the right things to make sure either Vandy or eventually the Indians were getting a healthy guy?
2: I was. I had a lot of resources at home. Um, I, ha- I went to physical therapy. I was working out, and I was kind of taking – like my flexibility and working on that more than I was in prior in the off season, because I was just trying to load up weight because like I was a skinny dude and everybody was saying like mass equals gas. You got to throw, you got to be big in order to throw, you're going to stay healthy. That wasn't the case, but I was able to, I had a lot of resources and I was able to feel good most of the time when I was coming back. And I took it very seriously, like physical therapy, whatever it took to get to that point where I felt like I was going to have the best possible return that I could have.
0: And what about that whole process, whether it's the work ethic or some sort of preparation, do you still carry with you today? Um, you know, what, what do you still think about that time? Or is that completely in your past? I mean, I would imagine something about it has, has helped make you a dominant pitcher that you're showing now with Mahoning Valley. But um, what about that time do you still carry with you?
2: It was – that was the first kind of glimpse that I had of not being scared, but it was – that was the first eye-opener I had because I hadn't really had any injuries prior to that. So I was like, okay, injuries are going to happen. It's how you deal with them that's going to make me a different player off the field and off and I feel like my work ethic really started to build from that point where I was facing adversity for really the first time when it, it when it was injury wise. So I feel like that has helped me a lot. It's driven me to be the the pitcher that I am today and will continue to drive me because I don't want to get to that point again where I'm missing games or I'm not helping the team in like on and off the field because when you're rehabbing you obviously like for us we go back to Arizona and I want to be out on the road I want to be traveling with these guys and like experiencing experiencing this with everybody and going through this process with all the guys on our team so I feel like that right there was really set the tone for my for my work I think where it was like okay I'm not going to let this happen again and I'm going to do everything that I can to avoid to avoid this so I mean it, it that's I I was building the foundation for my where my work ethic is to this day.
0: And one more question about 2018 before we move on to this year. Uh, When you were talking with the Indians about potentially getting drafted or were you at all? Was there any type of pre-draft conversation? Did they call you up and say, hey, we're thinking about taking you at 35. Would you take this bonus? Um, You know, what kind of conversations did you have with them before and after the draft in terms of, hey, what do we need to do to get you into the system? Um, yeah, and what was your whole draft process like once that actual time of the year came?
2: Uh, I actually was in Cleveland. So our dra- the 2018 draft was on June 4th. I was in Cleveland at a little pre-draft workout that I was up there. It was just for me. It was just me up there. I was in Cleveland June 3rd, meeting everybody, meeting all the front office, talking to all the staff, and so, I mean, I had already built like a short but good relationship with the Indians. So it was it was fairly easy to understand the the, the team that I was getting into, like the whole how the minor leagues, how good they were, and how I experienced all these guys that I'm going to be being around for as long as I'm with the Indians. So it was it was fairly easy for the for the draft process to say. To say yes, like I, this is something that I want to do. This is the organization that I want to be a part of, and I mean, I I don't regret a thing. There, they, there's not a day that goes by thinking, oh well, I wish I would have gone to college. I wish I would have explored other like opportunities that I had. So, and there wasn't really any any serious conversation with the Indians whenever they picked me. They they called me and they said, hey, we're gonna take you with this next pick. And I was like, "Okay, I'm for it." <laughs> so, I mean, there's there was there was really no prior conversations with him other than the ones that I had up with, with the actual front office with the guys that were making the decisions. So, I probably was the guys, all to death. And I I'm, I'm excited that I'm a part of a part of this great organization.
0: Mm, no, for sure. And uh, now coming back to 2019, like we mentioned, you've made seven starts. You struck out 35 batters in 30 and two-thirds innings. Things are going pretty well for you. How have you developed as a pitcher uh, since you started in the Penn League in June, or even going back to spring? You went through your first spring training. Uh, How are you a different pitcher now than you were just a couple months ago?
2: I mean, I feel like I have really, really improved pitchability wise every every aspect of pitching I have since spring training I have improved by an enormous amount but I really think think that one of the things that has separated me and like the old me where I was just throw fastballs if they hit it they hit it it's not like that anymore and that was kind of an eye opener, seeing like going out there my first outing against the Cubs in the AZL last year, like these kids can hit fastballs. There's nothing that they haven't seen before. So it's I just have to outsmart them now and be able to work around I mean still throw fastballs but have other off speed pitches in my back pocket where I have to utilize them in the right count. And I I was I talked to a whole bunch of guys that are in like high A and guys that are more experienced in how to go about hitters, how to attack hitters, where it's, like, I've talked to a bunch of guys, and they have really influenced me, and, like, guys like Plesak, Savali, James Karenchek, a whole bunch of guys that have been through the minor leagues, been where I am, where I am able to contact them, and I'm able to talk to them as much as I can about about how to pitch, in which that I feel like that has pushed me, to get better and, like, it really influence these these few outings that I've had here. And I'm going to keep incorporating and figuring stuff out as I go and develop my off-speed pitches. And I feel like that's what's really going to make me as a pitcher.
0: And, and speaking of developing those off-speed pitches, uh, our site ran a New York Penn League notebook a couple weeks ago about – you and the development of your slider and how you kind of found a grip that has allowed you to take that pitch to maybe the next level. What is that grip? What have you kind of done with that pitch and what is it doing differently than it did before you discovered, you know, this new opportunity? I
2: was re- I was toying with the grip. Uh, I mean, I always mess with, not always, but a decent amount of time for my slider. I, I'll mess with grips when I'm playing catch. and. Like try to feel something and get my hand in the right position to be able to execute the pitch or the throw. Um, but before an outing, uh, I was actually—I said this in that other interview that you're talking about. Uh, I was playing with a grip in a bullpen with a Cam-, a Cam Cameron Hill was down here rehabbing with us, and he said, "He said, show me your slider grip." So I showed him, and I—it was basically like a cutter grip that I was just. Because of my arm slot, being a three-quarter pit, like throwing at three-quarters, I was able to kind of make it have that slider that slider tilt, and it wasn't very much, but it was very hit and miss, very inconsistent. So I was able to, he said, why don't you use the laces in order to leverage it? You leverage, it, uh, you leverage the laces when you're throwing your curveball, that's how you make it spin. That's how you make it break. It's the same thing when it comes to a slider. So... I moved my fingers over a little bit and I was able to feel more on the seam on my on the inside part of my middle finger where I was still throwing it hard and it was having that slider movement to it, which was the first time that I could consistently be able to throw that pitch and like have it look like a slider almost every pitch and being able to make that more and more consistent each time I throw and understanding my body and knowing where I need to be to make that pitch so it consistently has gotten better and better throughout my outings and throughout my bullpens because I'm starting to understand truly where my arm is supposed to be how I'm supposed to throw it when I'm throwing that pitch I, I mean it's, very, it's a for me the slider could be a game changer for me if I learn how to throw it effectively and consistently right now it's obviously I'm not going to throw it where I want to every single pitch, not even a little bit. I'm just trying to be consistent with how to make it move and how I want how I want it to shape and how I feel like it will be effective for me. So I, I'm still getting a lot of feel for it. I'm still gonna toy with new grips, but I feel like I found one where I feel like I could have a, a power slider one day. And that that's ideal for me because right now it has the exact shape that I want it to have out of my hand. So, because I want to be able to have a curveball that goes straight down, eleven to 7, 12 to six, however you want to say it, and then have a slider that's completely different, but it's hard too to keep hitters off balance.
0: Mm-hmm. And going from talking about individual pitches to something that's going to affect all of your pitches is, is your delivery. Um, being six foot six. The discussion is always with guys your size, you know, getting consistent delivery. But one interesting thing about you is watching some video from your high school days, and I haven't seen too much yet from Mahoning Valley, but you used to kind of differentiate the tempo of your delivery and throw things off to kind of like Marcus Stroman-like. Is that something you still work with, and, and how do you develop a consistent delivery when you are doing that at the same time?
2: I don't do that anymore. (laughs) There are times where I'm in the middle of a game where I'm like, dang, I really wish I could not pick up my leg and just slide step and go home right here. I really feel like that would throw the batter off. But I can't do that, and I don't want to do that right now. I'm really starting to focus on, like, my delivery and repeating it consistently every single pitch. So, like, in order to do that, throw – Like, if you watch the videos during, like, when I was in high school, when I would slide step or I would hold at the very top, sometimes my hands aren't in the right position. And right now, I want to be able to focus, like, I want to be in the same position every single time where, like, as soon as my leg picks up, everything's functional, everything's the same. Because like you said, people that are my size, it's hard to repeat a delivery every single time because we got long limbs and especially guys that are younger we don't really understand our body yet so being able to feel everything as much as i possibly can that means i have to leave some stuff alone right now and i don't know if it's going to happen in the future i'm really trying to take it take it one step at a time where i'm starting to incorporate my legs more and do other things in my delivery to make make sure that everything's in the same place every single time to be able to repeat pitches, repeat and consistently pitch throughout a long season. Um, But in high school, I honestly, people ask me this all the time, how did I do it? And my whole mindset was whenever, no matter what I do, whether I don't pick up my leg or I'm holding it at the top or I'm holding it at the top for a few seconds where as long as if my hands break at the same time every single time everything will fall into place that was my mindset right then because no matter when you're pitching if your hands separate at the exact same time and your body knows where is to go knows where to go that's how you execute execute those pitches so for me i'm just i'm nipping i'm stopping all that the the funkiness right now i'm just trying to be able to repeat consistently on a daily basis 100% as much as I possibly can to be able to understand my body and understand the pitches that I'm starting to, to groom and make into be what I think could be very good pitches,
1: hmm,
2: slider nice. and curveball.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, we've talked a lot about pitching today. We're going to end on something completely different. Uh, your pinned tweet on your Twitter account, and for people who want to find you, it's at Ethan Hankins, very easy to find. Uh, your pin pinned tweet is from February 2018. It's. I can only assume it's you hitting, uh, and it's you hitting a bomb to left with a pretty great bat flip. Um, so I have a kind of two part question for this one. One, how much do you miss hitting? And two, if you were to be kind of a two way player, a Brendan McKay, a Shohei Ohtani, whatever, what do you think you could be hitting right now if you were, you know, in the middle of the scrappers lineup?
2: I had this conversation yesterday with our hitting coach, actually. Um, so, I feel like I could be hitting, against some of the pitching that we have here, probably around 275, 300 consistently.
0: Wow. Okay.
2: Not, not, not really, not really. <laughs> um, I Honestly, I don't, I don't want to hit against some of these guys. Like, we have guys like Carlos Vargas on our team that runs it up to 101, 102 miles an hour. We face guys that throw absolute fuel with a nasty slider and curveball. Um, I don't want any part of that. No, I'm, I'm happy being a pitcher. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be the one that is throwing a little bit hard, but I'm, there's no shot in a million years that I want any part of 101 possibly in my lower back. <laughs> so I'll pass on hitting in the minor leagues, in the major leagues. If I get traded to a National League team, I'll take one for the team. I'll probably be the next Madison Baumgartner. But I, I'm, I'm going to pass on hitting and focus on pitching for right now.
0: I think that's fair enough. You do that part pretty well. Uh, but I, you almost had me there for a second. I really thought you were going to say you thought you could hit 300 in the Penn League. Uh, no shots. No shot. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Ethan Higgins, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Congrats on all the success so far in 2019. And uh, looking forward to what's coming next down the road here the next couple weeks there in Mahoning Valley. Thanks so much.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on.
1: got some special stuff going on for this week's uh, conversation with uh, One Benjamin Hill because it is not just One Benjamin Hill this week. Ben joined by a uh, a guest in his own orbit uh, this week out west. Say hello, everyone, and then explain yourself.
3: Yeah, well, this is Benjamin Hill. When you said it's not just One Benjamin Hill, uh, I thought you were alluding to the that there are now
1: two Benjamin
3: Hills. There's a clone. There's double the Ben's bid, But, no, I'm joined on this trip
4: um, by – hi. Your colleague and mine, Josh Jackson.
1: Hi, Josh. That's, that's,
4: hi, that's me. We did almost run into our clones last night in a funny moment in the ballpark that would be too difficult to explain uh, on this podcast, but um, we both we have reason to suspect there are clones running around in Los It's Vegas. true.
3: We almost huh. let
4: uh, past versions of ourselves into the press box that we could not
3: access earlier, which totally makes sense, but we were there and it happened.
1: Man, this is like a. This is the start of a kind of a sci-fi movie of some kind you're going to be like pursuing or pursued by your clones throughout uh vegas and in, in your aviator coverage
4: black mirror milb.com <laughs> edition
1: black milb era um well let's talk about this you guys are in las <laughs> vegas right now you are uh you're very close to uh the aptly named las vegas ballpark home of the las vegas aviators and uh it's like a whole new ball game <laughs> um, it really is like a renaissance of minor league baseball in uh, in vegas this year with the aviators the franchise the ballpark um the the surroundings obviously very different from old cashman Field where they are take us through um you know first of all the the new park in vegas and all the stuff you guys have seen and also the fact that you get to do this trip together which is kind of cool
3: yeah this is the first um you know i've been traveling in some capacity since 2010 and um according to my figures it's 2019 so I'd done every trip beforehand uh, pretty much totally solo, unless it was maybe like, you know, Brooklyn Cyclones or something very local, uh, but this time, uh, Josh, they will come with me, so we're kind of uh, combining our resources and uh, trying to come out of this with some, uh, you know, a little different material than if it, than we would if it was just me, and, you know, we're here for three nights, we were here yesterday, um, you know, it was not night number one, and we've got two more to go uh, as we speak, and uh, still working on a lot of details, but We've got plans uh, formulating, don't
4: we, Josh? We do. We have a number of things sort of uh, on on a number of burners, and yeah, the, the ballpark, a lot of that has to do with the ballpark and the new identity and the kind of the level of excitement um, and engagement with the team that, that a lot of fans seem to feel. Um, so last night was a Tuesday night, and there was a pretty decent crowd there, um, and I've use the word sleek a couple times to describe the ballpark i think that's right on it does feel very sleek and very kind of um you know if i say fancy that that makes it sound like there's um fancy foods being being
1: served and and you which have to there sure dress- are
4: right right <laughs> but it's not like not, not in an. it's an not an like a waiter in working.
1: a tailcoat nothing like that
4: right you don't have to worry about feeling underdressed or uh <laughs> like you like you aren't of the proper social class to go to the ballpark. Um, but it, but it does feel like, Ooh, this is nice. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a cool bar park. Some, some cool features, the, down the foul line it's, it's 340, Um, and then right field, especially there's a the concourse is kind of open. There's like a, a, foosball and, and, and uh, table tennis, um, situation there. And we were standing there and looking down the line saying, so if you put a ball on this part uh, up here at this part of the park, you really hit that ball. Um, we didn't see anybody do that, but we did see one gets put into the bullpen. That's, that's right sort of below there. Um, yeah. Cool. Very cool setup here.
3: You know, I mean, it's interesting because it's Las Vegas ballpark. The team is Las Vegas aviators, but you know, as we've mentioned on this podcast before, I mean, technically, this ballpark is in Summerlin, you know, a planned community uh, on land originally bought by Howard Hughes. Summerland, Summerlin, the town, is owned by the Howard Hughes Corporation. The aviators are named after Howard Hughes, and uh, the team is owned by Howard Hughes. So it is is—it's a very kind of uh, self-contained universe, Howard Hughes universe we're operating in. And you know, we're talking to you now from the Red Rock Resort and Casino. Um, you know, a hotel and casino across the street where we have uh, the privilege to stay. And it's excellent to be at the hotel and be able to literally walk right across the street to the ballpark. Um, But, you know, it's a unique Vegas atmosphere. You know, we're, of course, not on the strip. We're not in the middle of all the Vegas, uh, you know, craziness that we associate with the city. But it still feels very Vegas with the mountains in the background and being uh, in a resort and casino as we're talking to you and going across the street from the resort and the casino uh, to the game itself uh cashman field was located more closer to old vegas and uh in an area that wasn't really too close to much of anything in terms of the immediate immediate area uh, i think which hurt the team a little bit um you know this one if you live in Summerlin, which is a a growing affluent planned community um obviously it's a huge uh, quality of life point for the people immediate you know in the immediate area but this is still very much vegas in the bigger picture in terms of uh i forget who i was talking to yesterday and i was like you know we consider the Summerlin or would you just consider this Vegas and she was like oh this is still Vegas <laughs> like you know just because it happens to be in this uh, kind of anomalous place called Summerlin it is still very much uh, you know a Vegas atmosphere and basically Vegas in the bigger picture
1: so and give us an so idea ben, how far exactly is it from like Cashman Field the the strip downtown Las Vegas how far outside of like what people think of as Las Vegas is Summerlin and is this ballpark
3: uh, it's about a 20, 25-minute drive from the Strip. Actually, after this interview, I think we'll take a drive and uh, get better uh, parameters from exactly where we are in, in relation to everything else. Uh, probably about that distance from Cashman, if not a little further. But Again, I don't have the greatest uh, internal geography regarding the overall layout of Las Vegas and the surrounding areas.
4: You can see the, the sort of skyline of the Strip from, uh, from the ballpark, from the outfield concourse. Okay. So that's pretty cool. It, it's... Um, yeah, it's, I, everybody has said it's about 25 minutes. We haven't done that drive. Um, it, is, it, it, it is, it definitely does feel like Vegas, as Ben said. We're, uh, you know, so there's like a, a pool with palm trees right outside my window. And beyond that, there's a lot of houses of, or maybe those are like big condo townhome things of, of, I assume, the planned community of Summerlin. And beyond that, um, red rocks, these these gorgeous mountains which every once in a while I've seen two lightning strikes since we've been talking in the mountains and um which is kind of cool. Um but then yeah on the other side of the hotel from Ben's window you see the ballpark in the immediate foreground and then and then the strip beyond that. Um and Summerlin itself, the there's a downtown S- Summerlin that we I, I just made air quotes uh with my fingers. Um which our listeners can't see, of course. Um, but so Ben and I took a stroll, Ben and I took a stroll through there and, um, let the you know, yeah, we were debating whether or district. not we would shop at the Crate and Barrel or the Ethan Allen across the street. Right. We okay. were in like the high end furniture district, furniture and housewares. Um, there was also a West end in that, in that little district. Uh, I think it's called little, little furniture Makerville. That that neighborhood.
3: Yeah. It's, it's kind of strange. Everything is big as, as things are in Vegas. Uh, you know, even downtown Summerlin feels a little more uh, vaguely smallish in certain ways. There was a bar that said, like, your neighborhood bar that looked like it could be, you know, in a mall parking lot next to the Applebee's. Uh, you know, but that's what you get when you live in an affluent-planned community. You have something uh, that's, uh, you know, didn't start small and then was built as the town developed. It, it's more kind of, uh, you know, here's the town. Yeah, here's like, the town. Boom, here it is.
4: We're, yeah. we're throwing it down in the middle of the desert, which... You know, there's some of that in every part of Vegas, I think. But, um, yeah, so so in a way it kind of speaks to some Vegas character.
0: And part of the thing that you guys are there for is also, you know, part of this whole new ballpark experience is that the new identity of the aviators, as Ben mentioned, a lot of that has to do with, you know, this being a very Howard Hughes Corporation-centric organization now, um, changing it to the aviators from the 51s. But uh, how have you guys seen, at least last night and maybe some of your travels today, how is the town embracing the aviators? Um, What has it done for the branding of the AAA Las Vegas team?
3: Well, you know, things were struggling in Cashman for quite a long time. That was no secret. Uh, There were major facility issues. Um, The ballpark was kind of worn down. and, And again, in an area that wasn't surrounded by too much else. Um, you know, as you guys are well aware, when the affiliation you know shuffle would uh, occur every two years, the team that ended up with Las Vegas when they were in Cashman, uh, you know, was basically like the last team standing, and no one really wanted to be there. Switched to a brand new ballpark, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is a desirable affiliate, uh, especially for a West Coast team. So that's why Oakland swept uh, swooped right in. Uh, before that, it'd been the Mets simply because the Mets had no one, nowhere else to go. Uh, so it's it's really big from the affiliate uh, player development standpoint. And also just from a fan standpoint, um, I think you're getting a lot more casual fans, even in a community like Vegas with so many entertainment options. I think if you live in Vegas, you're not necessarily, you know, we talked to locals yesterday were are like, well, you know, if you live in Vegas, you're not going to the strip all the time. But this is something I think Las Vegas locals might do as an entertainment option, uh, far more uh, likely to do that as tourists, but they can still, of course, draw on the tourist market, uh, including people staying here at this huge resort. Uh, you know, Josh and I got late dinner yesterday at a uh, a bar a 24-hour bar restaurant in the casino and they were selling a special aviators branded uh drink that came in an aviator's uh pint glass that you got to keep you know so there's those sort of partnerships going on uh marketing the aviators to people here in Summerlin uh as well as all over las vegas i'm sure tourists do factor into it because you go to vegas and you're like oh hey we can check out this new ballpark but i think you know they're really drawing from people who actually live and work in vegas and they're doing really well you know they um yeah, you know, there's been there's been talk how you know they're on pace to perhaps outdraw the the Florida Marlins, and I think they already had broken the Cashman Field attendance record, or at least they'd drawn more, you know, in uh, you know in July at uh, Las Vegas ballpark than they had in who knows how many seasons the Cashman. I mean, it's it's
4: uh, a totally different ballgame in that regard. And there's uh, you know I I've definitely seen a number of Aviator hats here in the hotel, which is not not. Shocking, maybe not the greatest barometer of, of success since it is right across the street from the ballpark. But um, I saw some in the in the airport shortly after we landed yesterday. I don't know whether, you know, those were like people going home and they comment at the aviator games. I, I didn't stop and talk to them because I was trying to meet up with Ben at the time. But um, and in the ballpark, the people are definitely up on the new brand. You see, you see some fifty one stops for sure um but a lot of we've seen a lot of people sort of dressed out decked out in aviators gear um and pretty much into the new identity um and it does seem like yeah people are locals are there are so that we met at the ballpark are very excited that it's there and um excited about just having this nice new ballpark um for a lot of reasons that We'll probably dive into in, in a number of pieces of content Over the next uh, You know That'll come out Over the next week And weeks I should
1: say You uh, You mentioned the 51s The uh, Former name of the Las Vegas franchise uh, Coming up in September There are like A million people Who have signed up online To Storm Area 51 Are you guys going to be Taking part in that I just wanted to get that Out there now
4: So we actually did it Last night um, <laughs> Just to kind of you know, I don't really love crowds of that size, so Ben and I just wanted to kind of recon it on our own. Okay, um, that makes sense. I don't really want to spoil anybody's fun by by telling uh, telling you guys what we found, but it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is what happens to get Josh in Vegas. You know,
3: he's up all night doing all sorts of things. Four in the morning, it's a good idea to storm Area 51, in. and. It worked out surprisingly well, considering <laughs> the reservations I had into the whole caper like going
4: into it. <laughs> you will notice that I um, part of my leg is not uh, Attached. where it once was, but, <laughs> but otherwise
1: um well let's let's talk about uh the second leg of this trip you guys are in vegas right now um and you mentioned a little bit ago that uh the new york mets were kind of in vegas as an affiliate because they were sort of forced there it was the the musical chairs the triple a affiliation and that was kind of where the mets fell that designation has somewhat bizarrely kind of gone to fresno now and fresno is the next stop for you guys um Awesome ballpark, one of the most creative and best front offices in of minor league baseball, uh, but not a super easy place to get to. I know travel-wise uh, it can be kind of complicated uh, in the Pacific Coast League landscape. But Fresno is up next, and that franchise is so well run and is also in kind of this strange spot now where it's their Washington Nationals affiliate all the way across the continent from basically everything else in that system. Um, I feel like it's, uh, it's a, an interesting um, mix of uh, a confluence of factors there in Fresno now.
3: Yeah, I mean, they were a Giants affiliate for a long time, which worked out well for them geographically, but the Giants eventually went to Sacramento. Uh, Then they ended up with the Astros for several years, and then the Astros were able to go to Round Rock. And, uh, you know, at the uh, conclusion of 2018, uh, you know, once all the pieces of the puzzle had fallen into place, uh, the only piece of the puzzle left for the Washington Nationals was to go to Fresno. They are certainly not happy with that. But, you know, as you guys know, um, know, if you're running a minor league team, you know, the affiliate can be a bonus, certainly, in terms of – you know, your marketing, but it's not really the be all and end all. You're going to do what you're going to do regardless. So, you know, Fresno is going to keep on chugging in terms of the way they do things. And uh, definitely excited to be in Fresno on Saturday and Sunday. It is Low Riders weekend. Uh, that's their Copa identity. And, you know, it's going to be a Low Rider show outside of the ballpark. And uh, I think really celebrating that culture. And, if, you know, I do, if I do know the Fresno Grizzlies, which I, I think I know them pretty well at this point, uh, I think there'll be a lot of uh, good material. Uh, from lowriders weekend you know last night in vegas uh tuesday night was the copa game there the uh reyes de plata which i believe means silver king and uh, they were playing el paso who suited up as the margaritas you know it was cool to see the uniforms but quite honestly there was very little uh sort of uh activation of the promo in the ballpark itself um outside of just the team's playing as those identities. I think in Fresno this weekend, it's going to be a, a much more fuller realization of the Copa identity. So that will uh, certainly be, be a big part of the coverage. Uh, who knows what else?
0: We're just rolling. And like, um, Ben, before we let you go, um, you wrote a piece before you left uh, to go back to the, the land of the PCL, as it were. Uh, you wrote a piece on something, someone you talked to at Albuquerque Somebody they call the mayor of Albuquerque, basically, James Kiefner, uh, the ballpark mayor. Uh, what can you tell us about this piece and, and what you got to know about James when you are uh, visiting the isotopes a while back?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That was last month's road trip. But, you know, the way these trips go, you know, I stretch I out the material pretty much until the next one. So uh, uh, this is from the last trip last month uh, in Albuquerque. And uh, James Kiefner is a 27-year-old uh, man with Down syndrome who's been going to the ballpark for the last decade with uh, his family, particularly his father, Jim, uh, who's retired from the army. And, uh, they got season tickets about 10 years ago and, uh, you know, James got to be known around the ballpark, and he was invited by the grounds crew to kind of become an honorary member, and that's really taken off through the years in terms of him doing more and more work with the grounds crew. Uh, then he dances with the grounds crew. When they do their dance routines, he dances in the stands, and he's known for that. He's formed a lot of relationships with the players through the years and uh, has just kind of taken on this designation as ballpark mayor in terms of just being a guy who's always there, who the fans know uh, really well. Um, you know, Super nice guy, super nice family. Um, I was really gratified by the response to that story, especially among people in Albuquerque and people who knew James. Uh, you know, it was kind of a privilege to tell his story and to have that mean so much to so many people. Uh, the kind of story I like to write that, you know, by proxy makes me feel good about myself and that I'm able to get positive stories like out like that out there and uh, you know tell the tales of the people uh, who make a ballpark special by being constant pre- constant positive presences. And uh, actually, tomorrow the day this podcast airs. Uh, One more piece from Albuquerque kind of talking about uh, their food scene and, uh, you know, their increasing uh, allegiance, adherence, uh, reliance on green chilies, you know, the signature food of New Mexico, uh, and how they even incorporated chilies into that uh, ridiculous, but by all accounts, surprisingly well-executed tumbleweed burger, which is a poof of cotton candy uh, and ghost pepper cheese. And the cotton candy is red chili infused. And it's all served on a bun that is green chili infused. So talk about uh, taking, you know, uh, New Mexico's iconic food and uh, kind of going as, you know, truly avant-garde direction with it. So I'll be exploring that a little bit in tomorrow's piece. And I think that'll wrap up uh, more or less things from last trip. And then, of course, Josh and I will have a lot from Vegas and Fresno uh, starting next week and uh, certainly rolling into August
1: all kinds of stuff coming up to the site. Uh, Benjamin Hill, you can find all of his stuff at MILB.com slash Ben's biz. He's on Twitter there as well. And Josh Jackson is at Josh Jackson, M I L B. And, uh, how are you, uh, what's the trip to Fresno? Are you like hopping in a car? Is this like buddy comedy road trip stuff?
3: It is. Uh, we have a rental car. Uh, we are both, uh, licensed and insured drivers on said rental car and Friday's a travel day. Um, and you know, if we get to Fresno in time, maybe we'll stop by the ballpark, uh, for that night's game. But, uh, I think Friday is going to be fun. We're just taking a long drive and uh, beautiful uh, western scenery. And uh, I haven't been with Josh behind the wheel yet, but I'm sure he's a, a great driver.
1: It's a uh, harrowing you saw experience. Yesterday,
3: yeah, well, if you saw yesterday, uh, we tag tagged him in a tricycle race, and Josh took no prisoners.
1: <laughs> well, it's that I same... I drive uh, like a tricycle. <laughs> it's, that, it's that same daredevil attitude that led him to Area 51 at 4 in the morning today.
3: Exactly. Josh That's only seems mild-mannered, but... <laughs>
1: When you really get him out there with his alien theories, things get a little bit crazy. Uh, One thing, by the way, if you do uh, run into Josh Jackson and uh, Ben a similar way, but Josh has stunned me in reason. Josh and I have had many conversations about the original, like, ten seasons of The Simpsons, but I can just, like – text josh a random episode that's on tv and he will give me like a a wealth of quotes from him so if you just go up to josh and say like any season one through nine or ten episode of the simpsons just see what he can pull out if you see him in fresno or vegas or wherever it's a good skill i
3: I didn't know that i mean stupid babies
0: need the most
1: (laughs) (laughs) thanks guys (laughs) enjoy the trip have fun guys thanks
0: yeah thanks guys
1: bye bye guys Big thanks to all of our guests this week on the show before the show: Ethan Hankins and of course Benjamin Hill and Josh Jackson, who are on the road. If you see them driving on, uh, you know Nevada or California interstates, um, be sure to yell things at them and try to get their autograph and just generally make them as comfortable uncomfortable as possible, because uh, that's what we would do. And obviously, you want to know what we would do in any circumstance of the like. Uh, MILB.TV TV is your place to catch all of the top talent of minor league baseball, including maybe. a a glimpse of Josh Jackson and Benjamin Hill this weekend in Fresno. Sam, what are you watching this week?
0: Oh, that would have been fun. I wish I had chosen that. Uh, just pick
1: Fresno games, just in case you see them like wandering around in the background. Right, there you doing go. Doing a promotion between innings. You can
0: take Zepp Ruder film quality <laughs> video or something like that. Um, I, I Josh get, looks like Bigfoot. I got my eye on two, uh, which actually be fun. Uh, so Bradenton is an MILB.TV team in the Florida State League. And I picked them because you're going to want to watch number four Pirates prospect O'Neill Cruz. Um, Cruz missed a good chunk of the first half of the season with a foot fracture. Uh, and I actually wrote up a little bit about him in the latest tool shed about guys who had rough starts to 2019. Uh, but are starting to turn things around. His rough start was just that he wasn't on the field. He missed, like I said, a good chunk of time, a couple months. Uh, since he's come back, this month in 19 games, he's hitting 333 with a 951 OPS, five homers in 19 games. When we were talking about a lack of power before with Trevor Larnick and Jonathan India in the FSL, it hasn't really been there uh, for O'Neill Cruz, which is really exciting. And also, you're going to want to watch Cruz regardless because he is six foot six and a shortstop. Uh, a lot of discussion in the prospect community about whether he's going to stick at shortstop. Probably not. Guys who are six six foot six don't do that. That being said, um, he's playing shortstop now. You're going to want to see that because it is quite the sight. Uh, his Bradenton Marauders start a home series against St. Lucy on, on Thursday. So when you guys are hearing this, they will also be playing Charlotte next week. And Charlotte is that team with Wander Franco at the top of the lineup. He continues to get better in the FSL, which is nuts because a he's the youngest player in that league. B it's a pitcher's league see you know he's still a teenager uh it's amazing what he's doing so the idea of getting to see him play shortstop and O'Neill Cruz play shortstop in the same game and have that be on tv is really very really exciting so uh either watch you know this weekend O'Neill Cruz take on the St. Lucie Mets or if you really want to see some prospect on prospect action uh choose and ne- tune in next week for the Charlotte Stone Crabs against the Bradenton Marauders. uh Tyler what you what are you going to watch
1: Hot prospect on prospect action. Um, I'm going to stay at that same level of Class A Advanced and go to the California League, um, where even though his numbers are not necessarily outlandishly better this month than they have been in previous months, uh, it feels as though top san francisco giants prospect joey bart has really really started to get things uh on track obviously missed some time earlier in the season with injury uh but so far in july he's already got a multi-homer game the ops has uh, been steadily climbing um he has really looked like the guy that the giants kind of anticipated this probably would have come you know in may or june uh, had he not been knocked out for a little while with that injury, but it just kind of feels like Joey Bart is really starting to to come along and uh, he and the Class A Advanced San Jose Giants will be on the road uh, taking on the Modesto Nuts this weekend, uh, and you can catch that game on MILB.TV uh, Friday through Sunday, they'll be there, so all three night games, 7 o'clock on uh, Friday and Saturday Pacific time, and then 6 o'clock on Sunday for the uh, the Cal League night show um, Cal League After Dark you can catch all that coming up this weekend, and uh, and uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Marm. We'll talk to you next week.
5: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best